Hey Habibis, just wanted to let you all know that Habibti Please is a proud member of the Harbinger Media Network, where a community of progressive podcasts challenging right-wing and corporate media dominance in French and English from coast to coast. We're also working with the Left Journal Passage as a founding partner to build a media ecosystem that challenges centrist and far-right narratives, creating spaces for the proliferation of progressive voices in Canadian media. I'm not biased, not like my writing's there. Uh, just kidding, it is, so you should all check it out. Um, some shows I like that are part of this media network include Rob Rousseau's 49th Parahel and the Indigenous storytelling series Feel Rouge. Harbinger depends on support from listeners like you. You can get subscriber-specific content when you head over to harbingermedianetwork.com. This little series on Canadian activism where I'm trying to cover some gaps that we've been witnessing is really interesting to do. Um, This specific episode is going to be on transit justice. I have two transit activists and I would say transit champions um, that are part of the city. Austin Jaffrey and Jamal Myers is part of it. Um, I'm very grateful for the editing from executive director of Harbinger on these episodes, Andre Goulet. Um, The reason I think this episode is super important is because I think a lot of people use transit, obviously, but don't think about how we build transit, who we build it for, and kind of how can we get leftist wins when we're thinking about transit. So how do you do actions, mobilize, organize, um, but what's pragmatic about it too? So like going and doing a deputation, getting data, showing data, kind of deconstructing myths, um, making noise, uh, talking about what the budget looks like. Um, A larger part of the discussions are like racism on transit and how policing can extend to transit. Uh, So this was an interesting episode to do. I'm very grateful for Austin and Jamal, and hopefully they'll come back on for something after we see the TTC budget released. Um, I learned a lot and I hope you all do too. Um, Maybe I'm going to get into some more wonk stuff as we go along. And uh, yeah, so... If you're into Canadian stuff, we're going to cover Toronto Transit today. Hope you all enjoy. Hi, everyone. So today we have Austin uh, Joffrey with us to talk a bit about transit justice in the city and how it's intensified. The need for transit justice has intensified with COVID-19, but also some groups in the city doing work around this. Uh, So Austin, could you introduce yourself to the audience a bit and how you got involved in transit justice? Sure. So my name is Austin Joffrey. I'm a low income um, post-secondary student. And I've taken TTC my entire life because I had no other choice. My family could not afford a car. So I've grown an interest in transit, actually, and more recently, transit justice. So I got involved in transit justice at the beginning of March when COVID hit because I saw that I I wanted to start a petition to refund the Metro Pass because um, when the lockdown happened, you know, as of March 18th, no one could go anywhere. And I'm like, you know what? The Metro Pass is so expensive and I don't think it's fair that we've lost 13 days on it that we can't use. Yeah. So that's kind of what made me desi- decide to start getting involved in transit justice. And I figured, you know what, since I'm at home and I guess I have a little more time now because no one knew what was going on, um, that's how I got involved. Thank you for sharing that. And you're involved with uh, two groups that, from what I understand. So TTC Riders and Transit Action. Can you talk about those groups? TTC Riders is a grassroots transit advocacy group that advocates for lower and affordable fares um, to build modern and faster transit and a frequent service to connect all neighborhoods. So TTC Riders is like a transit rider union, essentially, with riders across the city who raise their voices and want better transit service. And then Scarborough Transit Action is similar, but a little bit different because STA, Scarborough Transit Action, is a grassroots organization speaking up for transit riders specifically in Scarborough. And one of the main points is the Eglinton East LRT that we've been promised to run from Kennedy Station to UTSC. Um, but in, instead of the three-stop Scarborough subway extent, extension that's been proposed. So... For STA, we want more rapid transit in Scarborough and a low-income path. Okay, and then right now, um, there's been some actions around uh, transit uh, since March, and there's also some fears about funding in transit. Um, can you give us some insight and break that down a little bit? All right, so funding has actually been an issue way before COVID. So it's funny that these politicians are finally waking up now to realize that we've been underfunding transit for years. And now when transit is extremely vital during a pandemic they're realizing the need to 
fund public transit properly. So TTC actually depends mostly on fares to fund the transit operating budget. It's too reliant on the fare box because and what happened was because fewer people are taking the TTC during the pandemic, there's been a massive budget shortfall. And TTC riders and others calling are calling for permanent transit funding from the federal and provincial governments to keep transit moving at safe surface levels. So thanks to the organizing and advocacy across Canada, the federal and provincial governments have provided some funding, but it's still not enough. Um, that's why we're worried that the TTC will try to make transit riders pay the price of the pandemic and propose major fare hikes next year in 2021. Their budget will actually be announced in a couple of weeks on December 21st. That's why we're worried. And this funding is part of the safe restart agreement. And there are strings attached to TTC needs to consider fare integration and I quote you micro transit on low density routes and we're worried this could mean privatization and we know currently the Ford government that's on their agenda privatization and replacing public transit with Uber and Lyft in some municipalities so I guess you're you're probably wondering like why are we so worried about privatization well if we replace these low density bus routes with stuff like Uber and Lyft, that means that customers will have to pay even more just to take uh just to go a short distance or whatever they need. Because I'll give a I'll give a personal example. I grew up in Malvern. And so I lived on Hupfield Trail, which is a side street. It's one of those smaller streets and the 132 Milner is a route that circles through and snakes through all the neighborhoods, a couple neighborhoods in Malvern. And this route, although it comes every half an hour on the weekends it's not obviously as busy as a main route like shepherd or york mills or steels or finch but this route is important to the community because many residents who live in malvern who live in these side streets rely on that route so that route because it has less riders quote unquote that route is um is at risk of being privatized with uber and we know many people who live in Malvern cannot afford to pay for Uber or for a taxi um, or for these private services. So I just think the whole idea of microtransit is ridiculous. And Steve Monroe, a, a transit advocate and transit blogger, I would say a transit expert, on his blog, he's written about microtransit, how it's not going to work. It does not work in a big city like Toronto. And these politicians need to get back to reality and see that this type of idea is not going to work in this big city. You can't just privatize smaller routes like that from a service standpoint. And the Harris government, which had so many austerity measures uh, implemented, and you're you're younger than me, so I don't think you'd remember them. <laughs> I think I was born when they um, It was the late 90s. And so when the Harris government did this, there were austerity measures that were happened and occurred across Ontario. But it's why the TDC is the least subsidized major transit system right now in the US or Canada, which was kind of shocking to me. I didn't realize, I didn't connect the dots, to be honest. Yeah. I mean, I know a lot of folks are talking about Mike Harris. Um, obviously, I was born during that time, so I have no idea about him. But um, it's it's really unfortunate that now we have uh, another conservative government in power now who really, I, I hate that, that tagline for the people because he means for the rich white elite. That is what the, the premier means. He does not care about low income folks. He does not care about marginalized folks who rely on TTC. These are our essential workers. You know, I'm sick and tired of politicians referring to them. And have you noticed that the language has changed? When this pandemic started in March, March, April, May, we constantly heard our heroes, our frontline heroes, the nurses, the grocery store workers, the grocery store workers are heroes. Um, many of these folks rely on TTC. And now um, they want to uh, privatize bus routes. They want to increase fares. They um, laid off TTC operators, you know, you're calling these folks heroes, but put your money where your mouth is. It's actions that matter. It means funding transit properly so these heroes can get to work because these, you know what I mean? So I think that's what frustrates me. It makes sense. And um, underfunding, you've talked about the conservatives a bit, but underfunding is kind of a very much a conservative tactic. So you underfund and then things become privatized. Um, do you want to talk a bit more about what microtransit means? Uh, because you have much more knowledge than I do on this. So microtransit, based on my understanding, is that 
uh, Doug Ford wants the TTC to look at routes that are lower performing. And in order to save money and find efficiencies, instead of running an actual bus on that route, they would rather implement a service like Uber. For example, in Innisfil, they've partnered with Uber. However, we can't compare the town of Innisfil to Toronto. <laughs> it's very different. So microtransit, it also may mean, you know, making the fares more expensive, unaffordable. Yeah, that's basically what it is. It's about privatization. It's about making fares more uh, unaffordable for folks instead of taking the regular TTC. Yeah, and then, okay, so we're in a pandemic and you have essential workers using transit. And like you said, the language has also shifted. But um, can we discuss a bit like the crowding that's been occurring and which routes it's occurring on because it seems rather intentional? Um, and, and yeah, I'm going to let you take the lead on this one as well. Sure. So based on my observations taking transit during the pandemic, I've at the TTC board meetings, I've told the politicians, listen, rename the 54 Lawrence East, call it the 54 COVID East, because that route has been packed. It goes through several neighborhood improvement and um, emerging neighborhood areas. It's a heavily, it's a route that carries heavily racialized folks, black, indigenous people of color. And the TTC doesn't care. They are not, they were not putting more buses on these routes. These routes have been packed on the, even during the day. I remember one time I took the bus at 1230 in the afternoon on a weekday and it was packed. So I think it's quite ridiculous. We've seen certain routes, especially in the hotspot areas like 102 Markham Road in Scarborough. Um, we've seen 35 Jane, I think 96 Wilson in Northwest Toronto, uh, 36 Finch West, 29 Dufferin, um, 89 Weston, I think was another one. We So we see these routes that carry um, heavily racialized populations and lower income folks, and they're packed all the time. We've seen so many videos throughout the summer and throughout the fall of TTC buses being overcrowded. And then the TTC's response is that, oh, we're allocating buses to these routes. But actually what, what they've been doing is something called a run as directed. It's a rad. So there's no way of tracking those buses and knowing where those buses are. They don't appear on the TTC app like regular buses do so we don't actually know if they're adding these buses because based on what we've seen in the media what we've seen with people sharing their experiences on transit the buses have been packed consistently throughout this pandemic which obviously poses a health hazard because you're in a confined space breathing up against another person neck to neck in a bus and not everyone is wearing the mask so that's another issue too and you know what disgusts me quite frankly is that during the pandemic, uh, I've seen at Scarborough Town Center and Kennedy Station, I've seen fare inspectors, fare inspectors getting paid their nice salary, sitting there on their phones and laughing and talking to each other and, and being on their phones. Yet the TTC chose to lay off transit operators who could have been providing service to these areas that need the extra service. So that just shows you the priority of the organization. They would rather keep fare enforcement officers to police transit riders rather than providing riders a service. I think it's just quite disgusting, to be honest. Yeah. And from the Wellesley Institute put out a report that uh, COVID-19 is in specific neighborhoods uh, that also have higher rates of eviction. And then transit justice folks are also finding that the crowding on buses, like you've said, is happening on routes that service neighborhoods with the highest rates of COVID. So it's, I don't think it's a coincidence, obviously, uh, and it's, it's predisposing people who are already marginalized to like get COVID more. And then can you tell us a bit more about the bus lanes and kind of the masking situation and then fair integration, but also there's been some really cool actions that have happened. So how people are like protesting this, the COVID-19 East, you gave reference to it, but there was also an action in September. How are folks resisting? Yeah, so thanks for this great question. Um, well, first I wanted to say that, you know, a lot of these politicians that are elected onto the TTC board, and I call them out on this a couple times in my deputations to the TTC board, I think at the one in September when Councillor Carroll put forward a motion to bring back 100% of TTC service, I called them out. I said, how many of you actually who sit on this TTC board, how many of you actually ride the TTC? And I'm not talking about the mayor who rides it from St. George to Bloor, which is nothing, and that's downtown. I'm talking about riding a bus from Scarborough, from Malvern, 
Take the 39 Finch East from Nielsen and Crow Trail all the way to Finch Station. Take the 35 Jane from Pioneer Station to Jane Station. But these politicians are so out of touch and they're making decisions that affect marginalized folks. And I just think it's ridiculous. For example, on July 14th at the TTC board meeting, we had Councillor Denzel Minan Wong, who tell me where his qualifications or experience in the TTC are. I don't know. <laughs> So he actually asked at this meeting, he said, is um, during the COVID crisis, is the TTC the safest way to travel? He said that um, he said something along the lines of the safest way to travel during the TTC is uh, during the pandemic is by car. Are you kidding me? How is he even on the TTC board by asking a question like that? That's just ridiculous. And so at the mayor's executive meeting a week later, I called him out and I told um, these counselors, I said, check your privilege because not everyone can afford to drive. Of course, a car is going to be much safer than taking the TTC. But why would you even ask that at a TTC board meeting? You know, it's, it's these types of people that we need to get them out of office because they don't care about equity. They don't care about low income folks. And so that's why I've called out the TTC board, even at the September 24th meeting. And I said, listen, don't use the word equity. Equity is action oriented. It means creating change in communities, actually doing something about it. And they had the option of doing something about it by bringing back 100% of service. But unfortunately, the councillors on the TTC board did not vote for that. Um, majority of them did not vote to restore the service back in September. So I think the, the conservative leadership on the TTC board and at City Hall is troubling and will continue to further marginalize um, lower income folks who are reliant on transit. Yeah, well, I, I'm curious about how the bus lanes are, um, like, from what I'm hearing, so correct me if I'm wrong, but there's going to be bus lanes that might kind of increase capacity of buses, but that's but then conservative councillors are challenging it. But also the proposed Eglinton East LRT, the Jane Bus Street lanes being delayed and and kind of which bus lanes get delayed and which ones don't. Yeah, in fact, this is interesting because at the mayor's executive committee back in July, a couple of us made deputations saying that you all need to hurry up and speed up the bus lane implementation process. And instead, the mayor decided to lash out and say that the critics, which were us, the critics are misleading the public. He said they comment as if we're sitting around here finding ways to bog these things down when we're sitting here talking about ways in which we can accelerate them. Well, actually, I think that's wrong because he ju he's just de delaying, deflecting, and denying the Jane bus lanes, we've seen the Jane bus has been, I think, one of the most busiest routes during this pandemic. And now the Jane bus lanes aren't even going to be implemented until next year. So city council has been extremely slow. We've seen other cities around the world implement bus lanes much faster. I think New York is, is an example of that. And in terms of the bus lanes itself, we had to push so hard. We got so many of our allies like Jane and Finch Action Against Poverty, Scarborough Civic, Civic Action Network. We got a lot of our allies to sign up and make deputations to really push to get the Eglinton bus lanes in for October 13th. And now here's the thing. TTC could have used the bus lanes to improve service, but instead they used it as a cut. They decided once they implement the bus lanes to remove buses from the route to save themselves money, which is ridiculous. And then they did not do any proper consultation with folks who ride these routes, such as the 905 Eglinton East Express, the 86 986 Scarborough, and the 116 Morningside. We know that that goes through a neighborhood improvement area at, in Markham and Eglinton. And so what the TTC did was they took away people's local stops, such as Beechill Street, Torrance Road, and Cedar Drive, especially Cedar Drive, which has high-rise apartments, which has folks, many folks who don't speak English, um, but rely on transit. And how can the TTC say that they did proper consultation? And this is another thing that I called them out for re just recently, because their consultation was online, first of all. That's a barrier for many folks who ride the TTC. It was online. It was only open for the month of September, and you had to search for the consultation on their website. So it wasn't even easily accessible. And so I called them out and I said, you know, next time you do something like this, go out to the bus stops and talk to the folks who use the route. You can't just base your consultation online. That's not enough. And so there was 
a man from Markham and Eglinton who was making a deputation to Councillor Ainsley saying, you know, many of my neighbors rely on this bus just to go to Walmart, two stops, you know, up the road to get their groceries. Many of them, I think he gave an example of his 90-year-old neighbor. You know, many people are relying on these services and they just went and took away the bus stop without doing proper consultation. And by proper consultation, I mean consulting on the ground um, with people who take the bus at those bus stops. So they said, so they said that they're going to improve that for the next round of consultations for bus lanes. But I just think it's ridiculous. And so there's been a lot of action, especially from folks who live around Markham and Eglinton, to reinstate the bus stops. So luckily, after our deputations um, and the backlash, TTC has reinstated Cedar Drive and Beechill Street for three months to study and assess. Um, the ridership. But Paul, um, Councillor Paul Ainsley actually wrote a letter to the TTC to reinstate them permanently after all the pressure that we put. So bus lanes are a great thing, but they need to be implemented properly and folks need to be consulted and listened to. So that was an issue that we ran into with the bus lanes. That's interesting. And then even like right now, you previously mentioned the fare inspectors um, and they're not giving out fines, but they originally gave out a bunch of masks, but they've stopped doing that. But also um, thinking about like back when if things go back to normal, they will be giving fines again. Um, the officers and we know that those that disproportionately impact certain populations and also these closures impact certain populations so can you talk a bit about how transit justice is related to racial justice and like economic justice well we know that policing we know that just the act of policing disproportionately affects racialized people specifically black people and indigenous people there have been countless stories in the media of fair inspectors abusing their powers um so I think that the TTC, instead of wasting money on fare inspectors, they could put money into a lower income pass to help folks out who need that extra help for um, for using the TTC because the TTC is expensive. Now, in terms of anti-black racism and transit planning, there was a really cool article um, and, and truthful article that Jamal Myers put out um, back in the summer about anti-black racism in plans of, uh, transit planning. And he wrote that there is inferior TTC bus service in Toronto inner suburbs where most black Torontonians live. When we look at the map, that means places like Markham and Eglinton and Scarborough or places like Jane and Finch. He also said that nine out of 10 of the TTC board members and 12 out of 13 Metrolinx board members are white. So there's not even one black person as a member, nor on any of the executive teams. There's an absence of black voices in decision-making. We know that TTC cut, like I said, they, they laid off, what was it, a thousand operators, but not one fare inspectors. They hired 24, 20, sorry, they hired 20 more fare inspectors and they wanted to hire another 30 at a later date. And we've seen, even in this transit planning, Ford is pushing a six billion Scarborough subway, which only goes up to McCown and Shepherd. That doesn't really help anybody because Scarborough is much bigger. It goes extends much further than McCown and Shepherd. Ford decided to defund rapid transit to neighborhood improvement areas um, such as Eglinton East, Scarborough Village, West Hill, Mooringside, and Malvern. And these areas have the highest concentration of black residents in Scarborough. So that's an example of really how anti-black racism plays out in transit planning and, and policies, because it's constantly neglecting and avoiding these neighborhoods, but rather putting money into policing people taking the TTC rather than actually improving service. Yeah, thank you. And then I guess like one of my last things is um, people have been resisting. Clearly, there was the victory of getting back money in March and then there's deputations going on, which you've been part of. But um, can you just tell us about like, I guess, some of the ways people resist and like the small wins and why people should keep fighting for transit justice and like fight for people they don't know either. If you don't live on one of these routes, but you use the TTC, why is it important to still care about these routes? Well, you know, I think it's really important. I feel like there's a lot of people who say, oh, well, what is that petition going to do? Oh, well, their politicians aren't going to listen to you. But they don't realize that ad advocacy work takes it. Ta you have to do the work. You have to put in the work, even if it's something small, like signing a petition and sharing it on your social media. And when I started the MetroPass petition back in March, 
I didn't approach I didn't approach it with a deficit mindset and think, oh, well, this is not going to work. That's not how I approached it. And I had family members. I had folks tell me, oh, that's not going to work. You're not going to get your money back. But actually, it did. I started that petition. I emailed it to NDP MPPs. I emailed it to city councilors. I emailed it. Um, I put it on social media, emailed it to some of our contacts. Um, at TCC Writers, and we actually got six over 1,600 people who signed the MetroPass petition, and it actually ended up, the TTC actually responded. I also messaged BlogTO on Facebook, and they created an article, and TTC actually responded to BlogTO, I think this was back in March, saying, no decision has been made yet, and then we've noticed that it was actually on their report in the June TTC board meeting. It was on their um, COVID recovery report was to refund the um, March and April Metro Pass holders. And then what I did was I did a deputation at the TTC board and they approved it. They approved the March and April Metro Pass refund. And so as of August 21st, people started getting money on their presto cards. And I, it was funny because I was reading Reddit forums and people were saying, how come there's $50 added to my presto card? Where did that come from? Why is there like $100? <laughs> you know what I mean? So people were uh, were shocked, but it it actually happened and people got back their refunds for March 18th to April 30th, which was really cool. And it's just really cool to think that there was something I started and 200,000 Torontonians who had Metro passes during those months got back their refunds. So that was really cool. And that just shows that small steps and actions actually evoke change. Um, deputing for the bus lanes, fighting for the Eglinton bus lanes, that actually evoked change where they installed the bus lanes in October. So I think that was really cool. I feel like people just have to put in the work. They have to organize, especially when election time comes, to unseat people like Denzel Mananwa, <laughs> to put progressive councillors in there. You know, Manawang is running right now. So we need to put more pro progressive councillors into these positions of power and leadership to make the voices of the marginalized heard um, even better. And in terms of other transit justice things, what we've done in September recently on Saturday, September 12th, is TTC writers hosted a rally at um, MPP VJ's office. VJ Thanel, I'm not sure how to pronounce his last name, but um, yeah, I don't want to butcher his last name, but uh, MPP VJ, who is the parliamentary assistant to the Minister of Transportation. And we held a rally there and there was a huge turnout. It was a great turnout of folks from the neighborhood, of supporters, and there was also so many media outlets. Global News, CBC News, CP24 were there, and City News were there, and they did interviews with us, and it put pressure on the politicians. It put pressure on the TTC to restore the 100% of service. And I think that and it got the message out there. It got people talking about the need for 100% of TTC service and more permanent provincial uh, transit funding, which I think is great because now more people have joined TTC riders. Now more people have gotten involved. And I feel like when it comes to advocacy work, the more pressure you put on these decision makers, the better. Um, raising your voice actually makes a difference. And so I want people to see that. I want people to even take five minutes out of their day and get involved in these initiatives because the more people you have, the better. Yeah, thank you so much. And a lot of what I'm trying to connect right now is like people power and like how like small wins do actually happen and materialize. So even when things seem, seem bleak, we're stronger together. Um, where can people find you folks online who are organizing? Yeah, so um, TTC Riders, you could actually follow them on Twitter. Their Twitter account is literally just t at TTC Riders. Um, there's also Scarborough Transit Action, which is at Transit Scarb, and you can follow them and go to ttcriders.ca to find ways to get more involved. Awesome. Anything you want to end off on? Yeah, I just want to add that it's really cool. It's really rewarding to see that my efforts paid off. Like, it's like, I would have never expected it. But then it's really cool to just, you know, post on social media and say, hey, look, well, for those of you who doubted me, <laughs> look, I actually made a change. No, no, that's like a huge victory. 200,000 people got their transit pass refunded. That's huge. Yeah. So I think it's it's really cool just to inspire people and motivate them to see that people power actually works. Collective solidarity actually works. Um, and getting involved in organizations like even like Progress Toronto, they do a lot of great work around multiple issues across the city. 
So I would say just get involved as much as you can in these initiatives. Make a deputation to City Hall. Make a deputation to um, to the TTC board. Make Let John Tory hear your voice. That's a good note to end on. <laughs> let John Tory hear your voice. Yeah, it's true. He needs to remember that there's more people that li- like... He needs to remember that there's more people that live outside of downtown. Yeah, not only that, just like that, that like people can fight back and push back. Yeah, exactly. And equity is action oriented. It means actually doing something. I find equity has become a big word for a lot of organizations to talk about. Oh, well, yeah, we use an equity and anti-oppressive approach, but it actually means doing something about it. And, and I'm not, I'm the type of person, I'm an action oriented person. I don't care about fluff. I don't care about words. I want to see action. And that's what we need. And in order to get action, we need people power. Yeah. And like leftist gains. I agree. Thank you so much for joining me. No problem. So we just heard a bit from Austin about transit justice in Toronto. And right now I'm very excited to have uh, Jamal with us to talk a bit more about transit justice uh, from a Scarborough context. Uh, And so, Jamal, could you introduce yourself to the audience as well as talk a bit about why transit justice matters uh, before COVID, but also after COVID? And what does uh, anti-Black racism that occurs on the TTC, what does it look like and how can we combat it? Uh, So, hi, uh, my name is Jamal Myers. And I'm an organizer with Scarborough Transit Action, and we are a grassroots transit advocacy in Scarborough that advocates for better transit for Scarborough transit riders. And so for me, transit justice is really boils down to, for Toronto in particular, who are we building transit for? How do we decide what neighborhoods get transit and which ones don't? And by extension, which projects get funded and which ones don't? Uh, And I think for me in Toronto, that's sort of a key matter. Getting to the key heart of the matter is who are we building transit for? So, uh, for example, in Scarborough, we have been debating whether or not to build a subway for the better part of 10 years right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we've decided uh, more or less that the subway will go ahead, but due to the rising cost of the subway, we've defunded several other transit projects that would go through um, seven pri- so go through um, several different priority neighborhoods in Scarborough. And these neighborhoods, incidentally, have some of the highest Black concentrations of residents in Scarborough. Uh, these neighborhoods include Malvern. They include the University of Toronto Scarborough. They include Morningside Campus. uh, And they include all the other neighborhoods along Eglinton East. So that's really what it boils down to, in my opinion. And um, you've written a bit about in the Toronto Star, and we'll link it in the show notes, how anti-Black racism is deeply ingrained in Toronto's different systems and institutions, including transit. Uh, Can you expand a bit more on that and how Black Torontonians are disproportionately targeted by fare inspectors is one big example. So for years, Black Torontonians have said that they were targeted for by fare inspectors uh, disproportionately. And for years, the TTC uh, um, denied it. Uh, It was only recently that when the data came out and it proved that, yes, Black Torontonians were being stopped disproportionately in compared to our percentage overall of the population that the TTC really decided to um, do something about it. And I think the trigger point was there was a, a few years back a very violent incident of a young black TTC rider being um, harassed essentially by um, special constables about whether or not he had paid his fare and the interaction quickly escalated and became quite violent uh, and it was caught on tape and I think it sort of really brought home how these issues really look how these issues sort of play out on a day-to-day basis when black Torontonians are riding this transit Uh, and this situation I suspect has only gotten worse during COVID Um, As you know, the TTC has um, cut down on the number of buses. Uh, So the buses have become a lot more crowded, uh, especially during COVID. People have become a lot more agitated. Uh, Yet the TTC has decided that it will 
will continue with fair enforcements. Um, and a lot of people just don't feel comfortable interacting with these officers, especially during COVID, uh, yet the TTC continues to do the practice, which is a shame because it would be, it would seem to me more effective that if you're going to have these officers on the TTC, that it would be much more useful for them to be enforcing social distancing measures, telling people to wear their mask, rather than checking on whether or not people pay their fares. Yes. And um, I I guess like one big thing is how were people able to hire more fare inspectors during this instead of running more buses is a question to ask. But also, you've reflected a bit on the breakdown of the TDC board members, as well as the Metrolinx uh, board members. Uh, can you expand on that a bit for the audience and why that matters? So it's very interesting. Um, when you start looking at who who makes the decisions in Toronto, um, and you look at the boards of directors and the senior executives, you will see that they are disproportionately white. Uh, and the TTC is no exception. When I wrote the article, I nine out of 10 TTC board members were white. There was one counselor that was half Chinese and half white. And now that's slightly improved where um, a Chinese woman has joined the TTC board, counselor Cynthia Lai. So the, demographic, the demographics are a bit better, but not by much. Um, this matters because when, for example, um, Black transit advocates or just transit advocates in general talk about fair inspections and how it affects them, the people who are making the decisions on whether or not to fund fair inspections or expand the program, they just don't understand it. It's just it's hard for them to ima- to understand why people view these incidents as you know, as an infringement on their, on their, their person. Um, number one, well, you have to remember, the t- members of the TTC board members are never going to be in a position where they haven't, they're, they're worried about whether or not they can afford to use the system. So let's be honest, there are times when everyone has gone on the TTC and not paid their fare for whatever reason, the machine was broken, they didn't have enough money, uh, the bus was too crowded. So there's, you know, these incidents happen all the time, but the people making these decisions, they never have to worry about what if it, what if I don't have enough money to pay for um, the fare? Uh, Because, you know, as part of their job, they get a free TTC pass. Uh, Being a counselor, you get a free TTC pass. Um, So it really, and they never have to worry about, for example, you know, what if this gets violent? they are from a class of people, a certain class of people where the TTC and fair fair inspectors know that I'm not going, I'm going to handle this situation differently, i.e. a middle-aged white woman who hasn't paid her fare versus a young black man. And everybody knows that. um, But for them, it's, it's hard to understand it just because they don't see it with their own eyes because it hasn't personally affected them or someone they know. Yeah. And, um, the TTC laid off a number of employees, but fair inspectors were not laid off, even though fair enforcement stopped, which doesn't make much sense. It wasn't only that, it was that they had actually planned to hire additional fair inspectors during this period. Uh, and it really, again, goes to show you the disconnect between the priorities of the people running the TTC and the people using the TTC. Um, if you had asked the people who are using the TTC what would be the priority, it would be to keep the number of bus drivers or expand the number of bus drivers so that people could practice safe social distancing on the buses. For the TTC and the TTC board members, their top priority was, you know, the TTC is losing money. So we're going to hire more and fair inspectors to make sure that the people riding the system can have paid their fare. And it's important because during COVID, the people riding the system are essential workers. Mm-hmm. They're disproportionately people of color. They are lower income workers. They are um, immigrants. Uh, and they're the ones who are going to work every day to keep the rest of us safe. Uh, and that that sort of concern for mm-hmm. safety isn't reciprocated in terms of, okay, well, let's make sure that they have a safe way to get to work. Yes. And um, 
the Toronto Star before COVID had uh, the Freedom of Information request, which showed that 47,000 uh, tickets that were given between 2008 and 2018, um, that 18.5% of them were given to black people, even though black people are only 10% of the ridership or roughly almost 11% of the ridership. And has do you know of anything that's been done to remedy that disproportionate amount? Like people have the numbers, people are always talking about data and numbers. If you have the data, like what's being done? So in fairness to the TTC, I will say when they saw my article, they did invite me to speak with the CEO of the TTC. They did invite me to meet uh, the person in charge of revenue protection for the TTC and the person who's in charge of training the fair inspectors. And they have made some changes, uh, whether or not such as uh, Phil, prior, prior to these changes, in order to be a special constable, you needed a background in law enforcement, for example. So, you know, one of their changes is, well, what does law enforcement have to do with uh, fair enforcement? You should really need a background in customer service, for example. And when you start changing the um, qualifications for the job, you increase the talent pool of people who could apply for the job. So those are the changes that have been contemplated. I don't know how effectively they've actually uh, been able to reduce the, the amount of uh, black transit riders stopped by TTC inspectors, but we won't have that those answers until the data comes out. Yeah, and um, beyond that, like, am I correct in understanding that you believe that the TTC shouldn't be giving out fair enforcement tickets to begin with and should instead be investing in better transit? Yeah, I mean, I understand, you know, a lot of people, they say they don't like the idea of you know, people using the the transit system uh, not and not paying. And the, we have to also recognize that the TTC is the least subsidized transit um, station, transit operating system in North America. I think about 66% of their revenues or higher comes from the fare box, which is why the fares are always rising. So it's, it's not enough just to say for the TTC to stop practicing fair enforcement. We also have to go a step further and say that the government, primarily the federal and provincial governments and the city government, should be providing higher subsidies for the TTC in general. So they don't have to rely on fares so much and then they wouldn't be so concerned about fair enforcement. Earlier, you mentioned how the way we plan transit reveals a lot and who plans transit and how we plan transit. Can you expand on that a bit? And I know you're not um, from the Eglinton West area, but right now there's discussion around what's happening with kind of little Jamaica, but also just in general, thinking about the $6 million to the Scarborough subway and how transit is planned, if you don't mind unpacking that a bit. So it's interesting. Um, so recently, I'll, I'll, I'll talk about Scarborough first and I'll pivot to Little Jamaica. Uh, recently, a report came out that the costs of the Eglinton East LRT have doubled. They were originally pegged around $2 billion, and now they've gone up to between 4 and $4.4 billion. And that is primarily because the province has decided to change the subway plan which has, alt, um, has decided to change the subway plan. And the design change uh, led to significant cost increase in building the Eglinton East LRT. So again, the Scarborough subway is either directly or indirectly uh, defunding the Eglinton East LRT, either by taking money away from the project because its costs keep rising, or they're making the, pro the, the cost of the Eglinton East LRT rise so much that it becomes untenable for the city to, to build both the Scarborough subway and the Eglinton East LRT. And unlike the Eglinton East LRT, like I said previously, it runs through eight uh, neighborhood improvement areas, which are neighborhoods that have been officially designated by the city as being underserviced and underfunded, and two post-secondary campuses and the community of Malvern Whereas the subway, it is primarily being built to service the Scarborough Town Center. Uh, and by the Scarborough Town Center, I also mean the land around the Scarborough Town Center, which they would like to build condos on. 
Uh, and I don't need to tell you that those condos aren't being built for the current residents of Scarborough. They're being built for investors or they're being built uh, for wealthier people that would like to move into the neighborhood. Um, with respect to Little Jamaica, uh, you know, this has been an ongoing saga for uh, almost 10 years now. Um, I read us, I looked at some of the numbers um, uh, from the Black Urbanism Toronto, and they estimate that since construction began, and this is pre-COVID, uh, since construction began on the Eglinton Crosstown, about 140 businesses have shut down. Uh, so this is significant. I don't know, I don't have the numbers in terms of how many of those businesses were owned by uh, Black entrepreneurs, but I'm assuming um, quite a bit of them were. Um, and this is a direct assault on Black wealth, uh, on jobs, on economic prosperity, and there's really been no commitment to, in terms of funding, providing some sort of funding or compensation to these businesses that have suffered. Uh, and a lot of what the businesses are, have asked for have been quite reasonable, like, you know, not having Metrolinx's heavy machinery on the sidewalks so that customers can actually access the businesses. Those are quite reasonable um, demands. And unfortunately, you know, Metrolinx has sort of a history of having very bad relations with the city's black population. Um, you, you know, the most recent example was when the they tried to renege on their deal to um, give the land next to uh, near near Jane and Finch for a community hub center, um, and they wanted to build condos instead. Uh, and of course, this caused an uproar and Metrolinx eventually backed down. But it's part of a pattern that we've seen in Scarborough, we've seen in North York, and now we've seen in Little Jamaica, that this agency in particular is not very responsive to the concerns of Black residents. And this is in part, uh, to your earlier point, there's no senior management or board members that are Black. So of course they have this blind spot because they don't have people who are there at the table who can say, hey, have you thought of this? Or did you consider, do you consider these arguments? Because those voices just aren't being heard. And I'm not sure um, if this is still true, but I've also heard that the fare inspectors, the tickets that you get charged are much more than what you would get for a parking ticket in Toronto. Oh yes, uh, being caught for a, uh, not having your uh, paid your fare is more, in some instances, more than running a red light. It's more than speeding in a school zone. Uh, or it's more than not stopping for a bus with its doors open. Uh, so whatever you want to say about fare inspections, nobody died because someone didn't pay their fares. But people do die for speeding, for running red lights and for running past stop signs when bus when passengers are trying to board buses. So it really just goes to show you the priorities of the city of Toronto in terms of who they, ex because also remember, I mean, who are the ones who are uh, committing these violations? It's people who own cars. And generally, if you own a car, you have a bit of money, not maybe you're not rich, but you definitely generally tend to be richer than someone who's riding the transit and who has who can't pay their fare for whatever reason. Mm, yeah, it's it's ridiculous. And then just like a last thing and if you want to let people know where to find you on the internet after but um recently there was an article you were interviewed for with TTC Riders or CBC actually um about the mayor and taking responsibility and ownership uh for like what Scarborough Transit users are facing right now. Uh do you want to talk about like what's going on right now with the SRT? Right. So, you know, for years Scarborough Transit Action and Transit advocates in throughout the city have been warning the mayor and city council that it was very unlikely that the SRT, the Scarborough Rapid Transit um, system, would be able to keep going until the subway was completed, either in 2029 or 2030 at the earliest. Um, there was some work done on the SRT to expand the lifespan until 2026, but uh, the SRT is old. It was built in 1985. Uh, the technology is outdated, so they don't even make the parts anymore. 
to replace it. Uh, so that's so once uh, a train is out of commission, it's out of commission permanently because there's nowhere to replace it. Uh, and we've heard the mayor recently said that the SRT will be de decommissioned before the subway is built. Uh, to put this in context, there hasn't been one shovel yet in the ground for the subway. And if the mayor is announcing that the SRT could be de decommissioned soon, or if he's, if he's talking about it after eight years of denying this was even a possibility, then there's a very real chance that Scarborough Transit riders will not have any rapid transit east of Kennedy for mm. all of Scarborough. Um, just to give you some context, you know, I live at 401 in Nielsen and I work downtown, it takes me about an hour and a half every day, mm. uh, each way to get to work. And so that's three hours of my day. If um, you, I lost the SRT and I had to use some sort of shuttle bus service, it would probably add between 15 to 30 minutes per day. Um, so that is possibly, I'm possibly looking at four hours a day on transit just to go to and from work. Um, that's a lot of time. That's almost a part-time job. So much time. So if you are a, you know, an hourly wage worker and you are spending four hours of your day just going to and from work, you're losing on a lot of money because, you know, the money, the time that you spend just going to and from work, you could be getting a second job. You could be going back to school. You could be sleeping, whatever, um, spending time with your family. Uh, you're really, really taking this hard. Um, and again, the people who are currently using transit are essential workers who are disproportionately people of color, uh, lower income and immigrants. And we see that with, um, John Tory talking about staying at home or social distancing, but we see what the TTC vehicles on certain lines look like right now. I mean, it's interesting. Um, you know, the one responsibility that the governments have to enforce social distancing properly are the TTC and the schools. And they haven't been able to do either successfully, yet they've come so hard, so um, they've come down so hard on the businesses saying that they're not able to enforce social distancing. Well, you know, if the government can't meet its own standard, how how do we expect businesses to meet this standard as well? Yeah, it makes no sense. It makes no sense when I see some specific routes that seem to be um, filled with essential workers who happen to be uh, people of color and immigrants and low income. Yeah, especially in the city's uh, northwest corridor, where so those are the people working at the bakeries, uh, the transportation uh, industries, uh, food package, food packaging. And those routes are COVID routes. Their people are packed onto buses tightly. Uh, and the city has offered, um, you know, if the bus is packed, you just wait for the next one. Well, you know, the next one could be coming in 15 to 30 minutes, especially because of the layoffs. Uh, and if you're an hourly worker uh, and you show up 15 to 30 minutes late for work, you're going to be docked pay or you're going to get fired. So again, it's just part of that disconnect in terms of who is making the transit decisions and whose mm. are the people who are actually using the transit system. Yeah, it's it's jarring. Um, is there anything you want to leave the audience with who may have this might be a new issue for them to hear about? Um, and can they find you on Twitter or anywhere? Uh, sure, you can find me on Twitter, uh, Jamal Myers 5. Um, and I'm always tweeting about transit, so I'm pretty easy to find. Um, and the, the one thing I would leave the audience with is, you know, as bad as COVID has been for transit, it does offer us the opportunity to rethink our transit system. It's put a pause on a lot of the plans that had been going forward and, you know, seemingly were a done deal. And I would really urge people to get involved and to think about transit outside of their own neighborhoods. So, you know, for example, the Scarborough subway is a perfect example. If you live in Etobicoke or downtown, whatever, you, you're like, okay, well, it doesn't really affect me. Well, it does. Mm -hmm. Because if the Scarborough subway's costs keep rising, 
that means there's less money to go build transit in Etobicoke or downtown or North York. Um, and a lot of people have trouble seeing that connection, but there's only a limited pool of money. Uh, yeah. There's only a, a limited pool of people who can actually build transit systems, uh, whether that's the machines needed or the, the construction workers. So when you know Toronto decides to invest foolishly in these transit projects that are of dubious uh, need, it really does affect other parts of the city. And as as a city, we really need to take a hard look at this and really hold the decision makers accountable for transit planning in the city which is you know for lack of a better word a disaster yeah you're right and one thing sorry i said we were wrapping up but there's one thing that i'm still kind of thinking about like why like why is in this simple way like transit justice racial justice and why are they so intertwined like we did a kind of breakdown at the beginning but so it's interesting uh there was a harvard study and i cited this in one of my articles that shows a transit or transportation uh more broadly is the single biggest indicator to determining whether or not someone can escape poverty. It's bigger than education, it's bigger than health, it's bigger than affordable housing. And that's because if you don't have a way to get to work, uh, get to school, um, explore you know, different parts of the neighborhood, uh, take part in the city's amenities, you aren't able to take advantage of opportunities that will help you eventually get out of poverty. So if you aren't able to, if you're in a part of the city, like in some parts of Scarborough where there aren't a lot of jobs and there isn't a transit link that can take you to a part of the city where there are jobs, how is that person supposed to get out of poverty? There's no jobs. It's so simple. It's so simple yet it's, missing it's missing in all of our transit planning and if you can't in my logic as somebody who has like a i guess a little bit of a transit background academically if you don't feel comfortable or safe riding on transit you're not able to fully participate in civil society in a safe way yeah it's it's there's definitely the safety issue and there's the you know the justice issue of you know, everyone pays for transit, whether you pay for it directly with the fare or you pay for it to, for as a subsidy, and we all deserve equal access to transit. And, you know, one of the, you know, I hate going on about this, but one of the, the worst tragedies about the Scarborough subway is, you know, had they just originally built a light rail transit plan to replace the, the SRT as was originally envisioned, um, there would be enough money for the Eglinton East LRT and there would be enough money for the Shepherd East LRT in Scarborough. So Scarborough could have had 50 LR light rapid transit, rapid transit stops throughout uh, this part of the city. And instead we are lucky if we will get three in 10 years. It's horrendous. And I'm guessing you lobby for them through deputations, right? Uh, I've lobbied for them through deputations. I've lobbied through them. Um, I should say we've lobbied through them for them um, from meeting our elected officials, from meeting um, city planning officials. Um, and, you know, everyone's very sincere. Well, I shouldn't say it. most of them at least appear to be sincere, but again, it really, it doesn't affect them. You know, there's no Scarborough Transit counselor that is taking the TTC to work every day. Mm -hmm. They are driving their cars and they are using their free parking at City Hall. So for them, it's foreign, this concept of, you know, it takes an hour and a half to get to work every day uh, because for them, it doesn't take that long. Uh, And you know, even if they were to use the TTC, they are as part of their jobs, they have a free TTC pass. So again, they're not, they're not paying for the rising cost of using the subway, so it doesn't affect them. Uh, mm-hmm. So it's really hard uh, for them to sort of grasp, you know, what we're dealing with on the ground, especially when, you know, any, any sort of uh, argument about how we should improve transit always has to deal with the fact that, well, if it inconveniences drivers in the slightest bit, then we're not going to do it. Which is, yeah, where we're driving centric society, but we shouldn't be. But thank you so much for joining, uh, Jamal. I really appreciate it. Thank you for having me. I really enjoyed myself. 
Hey, these episodes take a small team. Solo episodes are hosted by me, Ashwalina Khan. American political episodes are co-hosted by Dawson Kimian. Canadian political episodes are co-hosted by Ryan Deshpande. Music and art for Hibipti Please is done by Post America and Johnny Zapras. Editing is done by Johnny Zapras. Production assistance by Raymond Hanano and Dawson Kimian and sometimes some other Habibis on our team. Consider giving to us on Patreon to help fuel our team with chai and other fun things at Patreon forward slash Habibti Please. And you can find us on Twitter at Habibti Please with a B. This takes a bit of money and your support helps us carry on the show and continue producing some unique content. So it's much appreciated. Yalla, let's grab some tea and shisha.